Two front row tickets to a Sinatra concert at the Paramount in New York at the end of the month, and first class carriage on the Tamiami Champion. Everyone bought rafts of tickets, even though most assumed the wheel was rigged so the mayor's wife, a huge Sinatra fan, would win. The boss of bosses, Dion Bartolo, showed off the kind of dance moves that had won him prizes in his adolescence. In the process, he gave the mothers and daughters of some of Tampa's most respectable families stories to tell their grandchildren. No man who dances with such grace can be as bad as some have claimed. Rico DiGiacomo, the brightest star in the Tampa underworld, showed up with his brother, Freddie, and their beloved mother. And his dangerous glamour was outdone only by the arrival of Montooth Dix, an exceptionally tall Negro made taller by the top hat that matched his tuxedo. Most members of the Tampa elite had never seen a Negro pass through a party without a serving tray on his palm. But Montooth Dix moved through the crowd of white people like he expected them to serve him. The party was just respectable enough to be attended without regret and just dangerous enough to be worth remarking on for the rest of the season. Joe Coughlin had a gift for bringing the beacons of the city into contact with their demons and making it all seem like a lark. It helped that Coglin himself, once rumored to have been a gangster and quite a powerful one, had clearly evolved past the street. He was one of the biggest charity supporters in all of West Central Florida, a friend to numerous hospitals, soup kitchens, libraries, and shelters. And if the other rumors were true, that he hadn't fully left his criminal past behind, well, one couldn't fault a man for a bit of loyalty to those he'd known on the way up. Certainly, if some of the assembled tycoons, factory owners, and builders wished to settle any labor unrest or unclog their supply routes, they knew who to call. Joe Coglin was the bridge in this town between what was proclaimed in public and how it was achieved in private. When he threw a party, you came just to see who'd show up. Joe himself conferred upon the festivities no further significance than that. When a man threw a party where the upper crust mingled with street thugs and judges chatted with capos as if they'd never met before, either in court or in a back room, when the Sacred Heart pastor showed up and blessed the room before imbibing with the same gusto as everyone else, when Vanessa Belgrave, the pretty but icy wife of the mayor, raised a glass of thanks in Joe's direction, and a negro as fearsome as Montooth Dix could regale a group of stuffy old white men with tales of his exploits in the Great War— and not a crossword or drunken faux pas was witnessed by anyone? Well, that party was not only a success, it was quite possibly the success of the season. The only sign of trouble occurred after Joe stepped out on the back lawn to get some air and saw the little boy. He moved in and out of the darkness at the far edge of the back lawn. He zigzagged back and forth as if he were playing tag with other boys. But there were no other boys. Judging by his height and build, he was about six or seven years old. He spread his arms wide and made the sound of a propeller and then of a plane engine. He made wings of his arms and careened along the fringe of the tree line, shouting vroom, vroom. Joe couldn't put his finger on what else was odd about the kid, other than being a child alone at an adult party, until he realized his clothes were a good ten years out of date. More like twenty, actually. The kid was wearing knickerbockers, Joe was pretty sure, and one of those oversized golf caps boys wore back when Joe himself had been a boy. The kid was too far away for Joe to get a good look at his face, 
but he had the odd sensation that even if he were closer, it wouldn't have made a difference. Even from this far away, he could tell the boy's face was irrevocably indistinct. Joe walked off the flagstone patio and crossed the lawn. The boy kept making airplane sounds and ran into the darkness beyond the lawn, vanishing into the stand of trees. Joe heard him buzzing somewhere back in all that darkness. Joe was halfway across the lawn when someone off to his right whispered, Psst, Mr. Coughlin, sir? Joe? Joe slipped a hand a few inches from the derringer nestled at the small of his back, not his normal gun of choice, but one he'd found suitable for black tie events. It's me, Bobo Freshetti said as he came out from behind the great banyan tree along the side of the lawn. Joe dropped his hand back in front of himself. Bobo, how's the kid? I'm okay, Joe. You? Tip top. Joe looked at the tree line, saw only darkness.